4 through 9. Hear the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we approach you. Pray that you would incline your ear toward us. Pray that you would open your word to us because we need to hear from you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Juju Road in Nairobi, Kenya, passes out of the center of the city where the wealthy and the international class live. It goes beyond the housing estates where the professional and middle class Kenyans have their homes. And it moves into a disorganized tangle of shantytown streets known as Mathare Valley, a self-made urban village pioneered by illegal squatters and then gradually attaining a kind of middle or working class respectability. This neighborhood is filled with poor and struggling people, people whose lives are difficult for us to understand, sitting here comfortably in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. The poorest person in this congregation is 100 times wealthier than the average person in Mathare Valley. A homeless person in our city has access to cleaner water and better health care than a homeowner in Mathare Valley. And there in Mathare Valley, on Juju Road, is a little establishment called the Suffering Without Bitterness Bar. The name of that watering hole has stuck with me ever since I first read about it in Brian Schwartz's 1986 memoir called A World of Villages, The Suffering Without Bitterness Bar. In honor of that tavern, I've renamed this morning's sermon The Suffering Without Bitterness Sermon. Now maybe you're saying, Pastor, that's not a very good name and I sure hope that you're not planning on making us suffer for the next 30 minutes. Well, the truth is, I never know how much you'll suffer. Reactions to sermons are rather idiosyncratic and individual and subjective. Some of you will suffer, some of you won't. But I promise you this, that for the next 30 minutes, you will hear nothing but sweetness from the pulpit. This is the suffering without bitterness sermon. 
I'm taking a minor detour this morning, a minor detour from our march through the Gospel of John, and I'm doing so because of the hurricanes that have battered our southern states. Massive storms that have forced thousands of people in Texas and in Florida to take a detour from their custom and their expected lives. A lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are suffering in big ways. And this suffering is not going to be over once the storm has passed and the television cameras have moved on to find some other suffering. It takes a long time to recover from catastrophes. Some people never recover, never again regain their old lives. Sometimes catastrophes, if they don't kill us, launch us into whole new and unexpected lives. Almost 20 years ago, when my children, Rosie and Calvin, were in grade school, no, I think Calvin wasn't even in kindergarten yet, we had a fire in our apartment in Doylestown. It wasn't a big fire, and no one was hurt, and we had renter's insurance. But that fire really threw our family for a loop. It took us a long time to feel stable again. And to be honest, it changed the direction of our lives. That fire was one of the baby steps that led me to being your pastor, to standing in front of you this morning. Because that fire, in a way that I had never really had brought home to me before, forced me to face the fact that I don't control everything. That some things happen that are bigger than what I can manage or cope with. And when you're faced with trouble bigger than you can master, when life hits you with a hurricane, you're also handed a choice. A choice about where you're going to drink once the storm is over. At the Suffering Without Bitterness bar or at the Heartbreak Hotel. This morning I want to talk about the Christian response to catastrophic circumstances. I want us to think about how our faith gives us resilience to survive tough times. About how our God promises us that He will carry us through the worst situations. About how our lives as followers of Jesus can be sweet, not bitter, come what may. But here's the important takeaway that I want you to have riding over everything that happens to you, that you will hear today, and that is this. What the Bible teaches about tough times, what the Bible teaches about catastrophe, applies to every day. If we can prosper, if we can be filled with joy, if we can be victorious in the midst of life's hurricanes, imagine how sweet things will be when the weather is fine. The Christian response to catastrophic circumstances rests on three biblical truths. Those truths will make our whole lives sweet. When times are good and When times are troubled. Truth number one. This is our father's world. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that long ago that God made this world with a beautiful purpose in His divine mind? Do you believe that God is still on His throne and is still in control? Every time we look at this world, we should think, Wow! It's God's world. I'm in God's world. Look at this good world. We're not in a, we're not lost in a hopeless, purposeless universe, a world that is totally indifferent to me or to my circumstances. That's the atheist's view. We're not trapped in a cosmos that was created by an evil God. That was the Babylonian view. We're not living in an unreal universe of illusions, hoping only to one day escape into reality. That's the Hindu view. It's also the theology of the Matrix, a movie I have yet to see. The beautiful opening chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Torah, the first book of our Bible, is a poetic Liturgy about the creation of the world and the refrain at the end of each day of creation is, and God saw that it is good. God created the light and God saw that it was good. God created the dry land and the seas and God saw that it was good. God created the plants and the trees and God saw that it was good. God created the sun and the moon and the stars and God saw that it was good. God created the animals in the sea and the animals on the land and God saw that it was good. And then God created humankind, male and female, both in the image of God. And he breathed his own breath into them. And gave them a special blessing because they have a special place in this good cosmos. And then God sits back and he looks at it all. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything he had made. And behold, Hene, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let that sink in. That you are living in a very good world. This is our Father's world. In the past several decades, in theoretical physics and in cosmology, two of the most demanding scientific disciplines, there's been a lot of speculation about alternative universes, about parallel universes. A lot of competing theories are mind-bending and difficult to visualize. And bosonic string theory, for example, space-time has 26 dimensions, which means something like each point in the space-time continuum is itself a separate world as if each mote of dust on my finger were a universe unto itself. I call this the Horton Hears a Who theory. You remember the Dr. Seuss book? By that title, Horton, an elephant with tremendous hearing, hears a who from a speck of dust on a clover flower and discovers that that speck of dust is an entire planet on which the town of Whoville resides and Horton sets out to protect this tiny world. You remember the refrain, a person's a person no matter how small. I say all of this to point to the truth of Revelation which tells us, all speculation and imagination aside, that we live in a good world. We live in our Father's world.
Truth number one. This is our Father's world. Truth number two. Our Father sees us. In the first chapter of Genesis, we hear about the creation of the world, the unfolding over time, piece by piece, and that description is punctuated by the phrase, and God saw that it was good. I want you to see that God sees. God notices what's going on. He notices because He's looking, because He's interested. It's one thing to believe that there's a God who made the world. And it's another thing to believe that Yahweh who made this world is looking at us and is, in, as, and is interested in us. This is actually a huge point, an important point, a point which distinguishes Judaism and Christianity from all the pagan religions. In the pagan religions, there is... There's too large of a a number of them for me to go into all the details. But one of the main features in the pagan religions is that the gods are largely indifferent toward and negligent of humankind. The purpose of the sacrifice and the religious ritual was to get the attention of one god or another and hope that he or she might take an interest in you and help you out. This morning Sam read for us. Thank you Sam for... Adjusting on the fly there. Sam read for us the very funny and the very sad story of the encounter between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This is actually an early example of interfaith dialogue. You know the story from Sunday school days. Elijah proposes a showdown between those who worship Yahweh and those who worship Baal. The two parties meet on a mountaintop, they build two altars, they lay an animal on each of the altars, and they pray to their God. From morning until noon, the prophets of Baal shouted, Baal, answer us! And after three hours of this nonsense, Elijah begins to mock them. Pray louder. Maybe your God is in the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping and you have to wake him. The payoff comes in verse 31 where we hear, No one paid attention. How bitter our suffering becomes if no one pays attention. It's one thing to suffer trouble and loss. Trouble and loss are to be expected in this life. But it's quite another thing to suffer trouble and loss and go entirely unnoticed. How lonely and hopeless and bitter that is. Yahweh, however, has revealed himself as the God who sees. God has given many names, many titles in Scripture, but the very first name ever given to God by a human, do you know which one that is? It appears in Genesis chapter 16. Hagar, the slave girl of Sarai, has a child by Abram, and Sarai is jealous. She abuses this slave girl, and Hagar runs away with her child into the wilderness. An unprotected slave girl with a child running in the wilderness didn't have much to look forward to except death. But God was paying attention. 
God saw her in her desperate condition and an angel of the Lord finds Hagar on the side of the road and says to her, the Lord has heard of your misery. And in verse 13 of that chapter, we read, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. The first time a human Named Yahweh. If God sees and pays attention to and shows mercy even to the slave girl Hagar and her son Ishmael who were not part of the special promises that God made to Abraham and to Isaac. Think how much more God is aware of you, one of his chosen people. In Matthew chapter 10, speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's seeing. The very hairs on your head are all numbered, so do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. Truth number two, our father sees us. Truth number three, crying out to God, asking for his help, bending his ear with heartfelt complaints, pleases God and is a sign of our faith. Let me say that again because I want you to get it. Truth number three, crying out to God, asking for his help, bending his ear with heartfelt complaints, pleases God. And is a sign of our faith. Let me begin with the last point and work backwards. Many, many times in the Old Testament, we hear the phrase, How long, O Lord? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, wilt thou forget me forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Psalm 92. How long, O Lord, how long will the wicked be allowed to gloat? Psalm 94, how long, O Lord, shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Habakkuk 1, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? These are godly men crying out to God with heartfelt complaints. One of the most common types of psalms in our Psalter is the psalm of complaint or the psalm of lament. And these are cries of faithful people turning to God in desperate situations. When things are bad, when the hurricanes of life hammer us, when your marriage is coming unhinged, when you're not sure about how you're going to pay your bills, when disease is taking its toll on your body and threatening your very life, when you're surrounded by people who are attacking you unfairly, when the job that you have and that you have to keep is sucking the life out of you, when things are bad, it is faithful to cry out and say, How long, O Lord? Those are all very real and very personal complaints that we bring to God, and the Bible is full of them. Don't be afraid To pray like that. If you do, you'll be praying like King David himself. 
But the Bible is also full of complaints about larger social evils and social ills. Evils and ills that we see that are in the air, that are part of the background noise, but that may not hit us personally, though we very much take them to heart, though they discourage us and make us wonder when things will ever get better. And so we cry out to God, how long, O Lord, how long will we be plagued with racial hatred and contempt and distrust and fear? How long, O Lord, before all the people in this country have a fair chance to develop their potential and to realize their dreams? How long, O Lord, how long will we be plagued with violence in our homes and on our streets? How long, O Lord, before all of our children and women can feel safe in their own homes? Before our neighborhoods no longer ring with gunshots? How long, O Lord, how long will we be plagued? By divisions and mistrust. How long, O Lord, before civility and forbearance and mutual respect characterize how we treat one another in this country? We are living in very anxious times. People are on edge. And when we're on edge, we are not at our best. During these anxious times, Christians need to be especially a calming influence. We shouldn't add fuel to the fire of anxiety. But we can only be calm and we can only be peaceful in the middle of anxious situations if we ourselves are not anxious And we can only be free of anxiety if we turn to God and unload that anxiety on Him. In 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8 we read, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Our anxiety is a sign that we're holding back from God the very things that we need to be giving Him. God wants us to tell Him what's bothering us. He's looking for chances to listen. We don't have to shout to get His attention because He cares for us. Those of you who are parents... Know that the experience of having children is one of constantly listening. Our ears are pricked all of the time. When the child is developing in the womb, we listen with the sonogram, checking to see that all is right, that the heartbeat is strong. When the child is an infant, we listen to him as he breathes in his, as he sleeps. And we stop by the crib in the middle of the night as we're going to the bathroom just to check. To see everything's okay. When they're growing up and running around, we always know by the sound of their feet where they are. And if they are in trouble, we hear that too. If they cry out, we're there in an instant. We can pick out our child's cry from a room full of children. Ears always listening in case of trouble. And when our children are grown, 
and have cars and are out in the evening, we don't rest easy until they're home under our roof. Safe and sound. Parents are constantly listening for their children. And your father in heaven is doing the same thing. He's listening for you. He knows what's happening in your life. And he wants to hear from you. If you have troubles, pour them out to him. Let him know what's going on. Talk it over with him. Ask for help. Know that he's your father. And trust him. In Psalm 55, which is another psalm of complaint, we hear King David say this. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. And then David speaks directly to us. He says, cast your cares on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never let his righteous people be shaken. I've taken this little detour from our sermon series through the Gospel of John Because I know that a lot of us are feeling like we're in the middle of a hurricane. We're worried about people in Texas and in Florida who have taken a beating, who will be recovering for some time to come. We want to help, but the problem seems so huge. We're horrified by the demonstrations and the protests and the violence that we saw in Charlottesville. And by the whole atmosphere of racial animosity in this country. We want things to change. But we don't know what to do. And many of us are facing storms in our own private lives. At home. In our marriages. With our children. With our parents. At work. And in our own bodies. Storms that are bigger than we know how to deal with on our own. And as we have so many times in the past, we do so again. We turn to God. We see that this world, full of these troubles, is still God's world. That it belongs to Him. That it is a good world and that He rules it. And with childlike trust, we turn to God our Maker, our Father, and we cry out to Him and we say, How long, O Lord? How long is this going to go on? And we cast our cares and our anxieties on Him. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. How sweet is that? Notice that God doesn't promise that life will be free of troubles and storms. What he promised is that he sees us. And that he knows what's going on. And that we can live and prosper and be victorious in the middle of those storms and troubles with a peace in our hearts and minds that is beyond human understanding. And when we have that peace, when we're not agitated and aggravated by an anxiety that makes us angry and bitter and snappish and less than our best selves, when we have that peace of God, we actually do a much better job of doing what needs to get done. We're more useful to ourselves and to those around us. We're easier to live with. And we discover that we can have suffering without bitterness. When we cast all of our anxieties on our Father who cares for us. Truth number three. Crying out to God. Asking for His help. Bending his ear with heartfelt complaints pleases God and is a sign of our faith. This is God's word for us today. So let us now be not just hearers of the word, can you bring that to me? But doers of the word as well. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. As we cast all of our cares on our loving Father. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning as people who have troubles, as people who are surrounded by troubles. As people who are concerned about other people's troubles. And we cry out to you and we say... How long, O Lord? Father, you have given us eyes to see and wills to believe that this world you have made is a good world. And that you're watching and you know what's going on. We are not forgotten. Lord God, in the quiet of this sanctuary, in the quiet of our hearts, we offer up to you our deepest anxieties, the stuff that makes us crazy, the stuff that has us staying awake at night. Lord, hear us now as we cast our cares upon you. Father God, we do pray for the people of Texas and the people of Florida. We pray that in the midst of the storm and the destruction, the loss of life and the loss of property, we pray that your radiant light would shine. We pray that your people would rise up and help. We pray that communities would be 
pulled together rather than turning upon each other. We pray that we would rebuild under the protection of your peace. Pray that we would draw near to you. Father God, we pray for our country. We have such a long and deep and dark history of racial sin. And we continue to see the fruit of that that sin. We pray for protection of the innocent and we pray for healing. We pray that we would live as Christian people. That we would honor and respect and love and care for all people. Lord, we pray for ourselves, for the circumstances we are facing at home. children that we worry about and parents that we are caring for. We pray for our marriages that the bonds between husband and wife would be stronger than death. Lord, we pray for our daily bread, that we would have jobs to pay our bills. And we pray that those jobs would not grind us down, but that they would be good and satisfying. We pray for our congregation. Pray that we might be a people so united that as we move forward in faith, trusting your leading, that all of our anxieties would be cast on you and that between us would be nothing but love and forbearance. Lord, we pray for the Maloney family as they move from Philadelphia and from our circle here. We pray for Tom and Barbara and Kelly and Gianna and Michael. We pray that they would be safe and that they would prosper in their new home that the schools would be good and that they would find friends and a church community to welcome them and embrace them. Father God, we thank you 
We thank you for the goodness of this world and we thank you for the goodness of our lives. So often we notice what's broken and we don't notice what's working. And so we thank you for the sweetness of this day and the sweetness of our families. We thank you that we slept indoors last night. You are a good God. You are the God who sees us. And we love you. And we worship you this day. We offer all of these prayers in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.